Thanks, Alan. Um, yeah, we're going to have a look at that passage today. Uh, we're back in our series going through Matthew called The Servant. And um, yeah, we're just tracking through Matthew chapter 18 is, is where we're up to. We've been going through it over the last last few years, um, just a little bit uh, in, in a sort of a section at a time. And yeah, sometimes um, yeah, we come to passages that are really difficult. And the, the benefit and the con of just going through a book is that you can't avoid it. And um, this week, I would like to have avoided it, <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> and actually considered it. But um, it couldn't. <laughs> so yeah, we're, we're, we're forced to deal with things that Jesus say that are, that are difficult and, and awkward and, and strange. And um, this is definitely a, a passage that I felt like that this week. And um, I suppose even what I'm sharing is not uh, definitely not a final word on this, but it's sort of what I feel like it's sort of it's encouragement to us is is today. Um, and this is a, a passage that is often uh, referenced even when this chapter, Matthew 18, sometimes people just say, oh, you need to follow Matthew 18. Uh, it, it's so kind of well known. They're talking just about these verses. They're not talking about the whole chapter. And it, it's often uh, seen as the, the sort of uh, typical teaching on what we might be called church discipline or, or what to do if someone in the church is in, is in sin. And, and um, there's uh, uh, lots of different uh, cases where that's probably been done really poorly as well, which uh, as we approach this, you might sort of even cringe a bit. Um, but this is Jesus' words, and, and we need to make sense of them and, and understand what he's saying to us. Um, so I might pray, and then, then we'll sort of get into it. I've got a fair bit to cover today. And we just thank you, Jesus, for your word and for your willingness to speak truth in love. And um, yeah, we just ask that by your spirit, you'd guide us and, and speak to us as individuals and as a community and, and lead us and give us ears to hear what, what you want to say to us. So we just, yeah, bless this time in your name. Amen. So I think like the, the actual context of this passage makes a lot of difference, and, and we've been tracking through uh, this, this section. Sam spoke on the section just before this, and I spoke on the one before that. And sort of to summarize some of the things that Jesus has been saying is he's actually been talking about the church community. Um, that's the context of this chapter. There's lots of different aspects of community, and he started by talking about uh, becoming a child. So it's this posture of we actually all need to be humble it's a community of people who have humbled themselves, who have let go of their reputation or worldly status and, and lowered themselves to recognize we're all children before God. We're called to be humble and actually aware of our own and each other's vulnerability because Jesus in this passage talks about believers as children or as little ones. And he talks about the danger of leading them astray because they're so weak and vulnerable. Um, and that could actually be weak and vulnerable people um, but it's also actually just a reference to all Christians, that, that we're all to see ourselves as children, as people who are, we, we often reference as sheep, right, who are vulnerable and uh, could be in danger. And, and actually, that's true of all of us. Um, then there's this Jesus, some of Jesus' teaching on sin, which he highlights just that sin needs to be taken very seriously because it's a destructive force. And some of the verses that Sam went through was when Jesus says, I cut off your hand, gouge out your eye if it's causing you to sin. And he's using hyperbole and he's not being literal, but he's saying like sin is really destructive. Like deal with it. Don't allow it to continue. It's not neutral. Uh, so this, this, that's in the context of this verse, this chapter as well. And then after that, in the passage just before the one we're looking at, is a passage about God the Father and his love for each individual. Uh, it's, the, it's this parable of a sheep um, or little ones. 
And he loves each individual enough to actually pursue them when they wander. It's this passage, I'll just read it. This is just before what we read uh, just then. Um, Jesus says, What do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away? Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. And it's just a reference to, to God's heart, right? That he cares about each individual believer and particularly those who are in danger, who are weak, who are vulnerable, who are going off track. He cares about them enough to pursue them and bring them back. That's God's heart. And we, we understand that and we, we sing about that. We, we, we value that. Um, and I think, and often what, what it actually looks like, though, when God might do that is, is something um, that we would call perhaps discipline or correction. Uh, if, if a sheep is wandering, the shepherd goes after them and brings them back. They need to turn around. They need to come back and get back on track. Um, often the word discipline obviously has a, a, a negative word, um, negative connotation, even when we talk about it. With parenting, sometimes it can have a negative connotation. Um, but biblically, especially in response to God's heart to, to discipline or to correct, it's actually very positive. There's this verse, verse in Proverbs uh, talking about God. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son he delights in. That because God loves us, when we're going off track... He addresses it, and he's a loving father. It's not, they're not talking about corporal punishment or um, like control or manipulation or abuse, he, he, but he will address it, and, and sometimes it might be painful. The ref, the verse, some ref, verses reference that, and it's probably painful for him too. Like, no parent enjoys disciplining their child, uh, but it's something that must be done if you love them because the alternate is to just let them wander. Or the alternate is just to let a child do whatever they want and never correct them. And that's actually also abusive and neglectful. It's actually not loving to not correct or to not pursue. So God the Father does this because he loves. He's not apathetic or neglectful. He's also not controlling or demanding or abusive, but he is loving. So he does correct. He does discipline, even though that's difficult. And I think in many ways what this teaching that Jesus then starts to give is actually that we are to have a similar heart to each other. If that's God's the Father's heart for each and every one of us, we are obviously not the Father, but we are brothers and sisters. And actually, maybe God the Father wants to work through us to bring that about. We're actually not to parent each other, but we're to fight for each other as brothers and sisters, supporting each other in our vulnerabilities and in our battle against sin. We're actually to have each other's back, but that might look like pointing things out and confronting, or what we'll to look at this passage, which is talking about discipline, which obviously, again, can be done very poorly, just like parental discipline can be done very poorly, but then we might go to the other extreme and say, well, then it shouldn't be done at all, but that's just as dangerous to neglect it altogether. So Jesus gives effectively a four-step process of what this looks like. And again, their context is very different. How that applies today, I'm still not totally sure on. I'll give some suggestions today, and it's probably not perfect. Um, 
but um, the, the, the sort of key point of it is that actually we're to be people who support each other and fight for each other, and actually that does involve highlighting things to each other at times, even though it's definitely not fun. So, this is Jesus' four-step process for what I'm calling loving correction, or we could call discipline in the community. Uh, again, there's lots of negative connotations about that, but we kind of have to almost put them on hold and just say, this is Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is teaching this. Jesus' heart is good and pure. It's his word, so they're true. So we need to try to seek to understand what his heart is and how do we follow him in this. So the first step, he says, um, is, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. So this is, um, there's so much wisdom in this. Like it, again, it seems like you might read that and say, I would not want to do that. And, and I agree. But, um, but there's a lot of wisdom in this, right? Because Jesus is talking very clearly that this is about the church family, right? This is about brothers and sisters. This is about fellow people who are deciding to follow Jesus. And now everybody is welcome to follow Jesus. That's our, our, the good news. Anybody can follow Jesus. But actually, following Jesus does involve certain behaviors, doing certain behaviors and not doing other behaviors. Like, anyone can follow Jesus, but as a follower of Jesus, you can't do whatever you want. To follow Jesus is to say, I'm not going to do whatever I want. I'm going to do what Jesus wants. So then when a brother or a sister is not doing that, they're going on a path that's not in line with Jesus. It's not in line with what's good. It's actually sin. And when we say sin, we mean something that's actually destructive for them, destroying their relationship with God, their relationship with others, their relationship with themselves, that there's actually a responsibility, not for the church leaders, but for every single Christian, or for the Christians particularly who are closest to them, to talk to them about it. It's interesting, this verse doesn't say anything about church leaders. It's actually written to an individual Christian who sees another Christian in sin. Um, some translations translate it, a brother or sister sins against you. Um, that's most likely not original. The, 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 the most sort of um, reliable manuscripts seem to say it's just, it's just sin. It's not so much, this is not so much about a personal problem with somebody else, but just if you see someone who's starting to wander, who's vulnerable, who's starting a pattern of behavior or practice or belief or false teaching that actually is not in line with Jesus, and this is not about a personal opinion, like your hobby horse, that they don't agree with you on your interpretation of this. Like, that's not what this is about. It's about sin. And it's obviously clearly when someone is in a destructive pattern and they are at risk. What you are to do is not gossip, not ask someone else to pray for them, not tell the church leaders, literally just go and talk to them direct. That's what Jesus says. And it's so wise because it protects this person. It's not spread to other people. It's you, you notice something with someone that you love, who you're close to, just go and talk to them. Address it. And then the verse actually is so positive because it says, if they listen to you, you have won them over. It's actually a really encouraging verse because um, they might just say, oh, whoa, I didn't even realize that. Thank you for telling me. And then it's over. Like, like, and, and most likely, that's probably what will be the case, if this is done in love, with gentleness, with humility, 
with a, with a desire to support this, this brother or sister, most likely it's probably just going to be a short conversation and it will actually be so helpful for them. It's actually a really encouraging verse. Dale Brunner on this says it this way, quick private confrontation conversations are acts of love and should be happening more often in Christian families, friendships, and communities. And like there's, there's so much to say on this, and, and I definitely can't cover everything at the moment, but you might already be thinking, hang on, but that sounds like judging. Jesus says don't judge, and that's true, right? We're definitely not to judge, um, particularly with hypocritical judgment. Jesus also gives conditions on judgment, saying don't look at the speck in someone else's eye when you've got a log in your own eye. First, address it. So you need to address yourself first if you're going to address somebody else. Examine yourself first. But there are many scriptural encouragements, in a sense, to judge each other, not outsiders, but insiders in the church. People who are fellow disciples of Jesus, if they're going down a path that Jesus says not to, there is a responsibility to talk to them about it. And again, it it's probably doesn't feel like a nice thing to do. Um, it's not something that's really culturally acceptable to do, but again, it's something Jesus says to do. But if I think about this, and if you think about it, maybe, like, I would want someone to do this for me. Like, if I, if I was going down a path in my belief, um, if I was engaging in a practice or a behavior that was, was clearly not in line with Jesus, um, and then a, a friend who loves me, who's a fellow follower of Jesus, came to me and said, hey, Tim, what are you doing? That's not right. Uh, I care about you. So let's talk about it. Like, I would want them to do that. Like, I would feel loved if they did that. And I wonder if you might feel the same. Like, obviously, if someone came to try and manipulate or control or condemn or nitpick, like, I would not appreciate that. But if it was someone who loved me and could see that I was in danger and vulnerable, I would want that. And I think I would feel so loved by that. Um, And you might feel the same. So... That's kind of Jesus' first step. And I think in, in lots of ways, this passage like, is about escalation. And we'll go through the fact that what happens if they don't listen and how it escalates. But I think like, in some ways, the first step is probably the most relevant. Because if it's done well, most of the time, it's probably just step one that's needed. Uh, it's not really that we need to worry about, well, how does all this escalation work? Like, that's probably a secondary issue. The, the, the primary issue, I think, is how do we fight for each other? How do we address each other in small, short, quick ways when things come up? Because often we do the opposite, and I'm talking exactly to myself. We, we see something, and then we don't do anything, and then we talk to other people, and then we wait, and then it gets worse, and then people go down this path, and then they leave. And I, and I wonder, um, preaching on this, this this week, that maybe if we actually just did this early, quick, short, we would lose a lot less people. Like, like when people are following Jesus, but they're just starting to go off, if we just addressed it early, maybe it would make a huge difference. Whereas often we wait, and they go further and further, and it's been a long time, and then it's almost too late. And, and, and maybe there's something massive for us in, in this. But if they don't listen, Jesus talks about the steps of, of escalation. Um, so step two is if they will not listen, take one or two others so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So the next step is effectively to bring one or two more people in. Again, it's very specific. It's not three people. One or two. It's still a very small group. And it's 
people who are witnesses, which could mean a couple of things. It probably means that they're people who are also in close relationship with this person. This is all relational. It's people who love this person who's in danger and who's going down this path. Maybe who are they are witnesses of the sin in the sense of they are aware of it or they can see the destruction that's happening in this person's life and in the community. It could also be that they're being witnesses to the confrontation in a sense of bringing objectivity because maybe the person who's seen the sin in someone's life, maybe they're actually not really right about it and they need to be corrected as well. So, but if there's agreement, right, if, if, if I go to someone and say, hey, I'm concerned about you, the path you're going, they don't listen, but then I take two other people who care about them and, and we say, hey, actually, we all agree that this is wrong and we all care about you and actually we really want you to listen to us. Again, I think if someone did that to me, like if I didn't listen to them, but then if like two or three of my friends sat me down and said, hey, like what you're doing, Tim, is not good. Like that would be pretty intense. Like even just that step two is pretty intense. Um, but if they were loving and they were united, like they all agreed, like actually you didn't listen to this person, Tim, but actually you're in the wrong. You, you need to listen to us. Like that would carry a lot of weight. And I think that's the idea, that this consensus, this group, it just gives more weight to this and puts a little bit more pressure on the person to say, hey, actually, the path you're going down is not good. We, we need to come back. And again, it's still not bringing in leaders here. It's not gossiping. It's taking this really seriously. If, though, again, they still don't listen, the next step, Jesus says, is if they refuse to listen, tell it to the church. Now, this is probably sounds really strange. And again, I think there's lots of interpretation and context that's needed here. And the modern application of this still needs to be worked out in lots and has definitely been misused a lot. Um, one thing that's already strange is Jesus is talking about the church before there is a church. Uh, like the, the church hasn't started yet, right? Um, it just means gathering. And then it's most likely referring to church in the first century, which probably what today looks a lot more like a home group or a house church. 20 people maybe, not, not this, like not a big public live stream gathering, <laughs> like, like that's not what Jesus is talking about. Um, but the, the idea, right, is now just to escalate and bring maximum appeal to this person because effectively their whole community is unanimous that what they're doing is destructive and not in line with following Jesus. So it's bringing the maximum weight um, and it's also effectively saying that this is not behavior that we will tolerate as a community of disciples of Jesus. Anybody's welcome to follow Jesus, but this is what Jesus, following Jesus looks like. And especially if you can imagine the first century, right? This, this is a minority group movement, lots of opposition and pressure. The church also doesn't want to be seen to be like agreeing with things that totally misrepresent them. So if, if someone is totally misrepresenting Jesus, the the church is saying, hey, like, we, we want you to follow Jesus, but we will not support you in that. We will not bless that. And it's a lot harder, right, in our context um, for what this looks like. In our context, perhaps this does look like telling church leaders. Um, it could look like telling the church, could look like bringing the issue to the elders, for example. Um, I don't think it means, like, doing an announcement <laughs> on Sunday, <laughs> like... I don't think that's what it means in our, in our context. Um, so that's, but it's like this bringing this maximum appeal. Um, then the final step 
is if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Again, the Greek is really interesting here. It's actually more passive. It's effectively saying, let them be to you as a pagan or a tax collector. It's almost saying that they're not listening. They're not wanting to follow Jesus in this area. And by that, they're showing they're not wanting to follow Jesus. So let them go in that sense. Let them be what they seem like they want to be. It's interesting. It doesn't say that they are a pagan or tax collector. It doesn't actually say that they are not a Christian. Like, we don't know. Right, but it says the relationship shifts now from they're no longer in the close fellowship of the community. So there is a sense in which this verse is um, about exclusion, uh, in, in a sense. Um, perhaps in, in our context, what this might look like is, um, I suppose, like, when, when, we, when we gather, anybody's welcome to gather in the church, right? Like, we don't have to believe in Jesus to, to be here. We want people who don't believe in Jesus to come to church, but um, to uh, be baptized, you need to believe in Jesus. And then to become a formal member of, of Rivers Church, you need to be a believer in Jesus as, as well and someone who's committed to following Jesus. So this might look like um, someone no longer being a formal member. Um, that's what it could look like in our context. But it's interesting because there's also kind of a bit of a play here because Jesus says, treat them like you would a pagan or a tax collector. But then how does Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors, right? He eats with them, and he loves them, and he calls them. And Matthew, who's writing this, was a tax collector that Jesus loved. So there's a sense in which it, you treat them like you would treat other people who are not Christians, which is to love them, <laughs> and welcome them, and bless them, and pursue them like God the Father pursues them. But it's a shift in the relationship. Because again, it, it's just affirming that everybody's welcome, but actually looking like following Jesus looks like something. Not all behavior is welcome for followers of Jesus, but anyone is welcome to follow him. So a summary of this, four steps of what Jesus is saying, I think, is that the first step is just a private, loving conversation, gently highlighting sin. Um, again, that needs to be taken really seriously and, and be very gentle in, in relationship, communicating love, and most of the time, probably that's where it will stop. Um, the next step is one or two others join to lovingly show the seriousness of the behavior, just escalating, showing the consensus. Step three, share with the church community. This, in our context, could look like a small group or elders to show the greater gravity and final disapproval of the behavior. And if they still don't listen to that, effectively what happens is the relationship changes from one or fellow follower of Jesus, a brother or sister, to just someone who needs to come to faith in Jesus. There's a, there's a shift. So this isn't necessarily like an excommunication, like you're not welcome at church. Like that's, I don't think that's, that's not the point, uh, at least not in our context. Um, so th th there's actually a lot of wisdom in these steps. And I think like, like when I read that, I'm like, oh, I don't want to escalate like something through that. Like we, could, we should just leave it should just let it go. Like, that's kind of my default, but maybe that's actually the unloving posture. Like, the, the escalation is actually showing, no, we want to fight for you. Like, we don't want to let you go this path. We want you to come back into the community. Like, what you're doing is serious, and, and we need to address it. Like, perhaps that's actually more loving than sort of saying, oh, they didn't listen to me. Oh, well. Like, that, that's probably more my default. Or even to say, oh, they won't even listen. I won't even bother. Like, like, that, that's probably more maybe where, where 
where I'm at and maybe others are at as well. So again, this is really countercultural. Um, so there are, I think what comes after is effectively some encouragements to, to practice this, that actually this is God's heart, this is Jesus' heart, and even sharing this today this like, like is quite difficult, um, and I feel quite challenged by this, and I think it's a challenge for us because we don't tend to do this or don't tend to do this well. But afterwards, Jesus says some pretty amazing and pretty also somewhat strange and, and still confusing, but trying to make as most sense of them as I can, statements after. He says this, straight after this. He says, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be, or the Greek is more, will have been found in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Again, I think this is an encouragement that actually this practice of confrontation in, in love, the church actually does have authority to do this. Believers in Jesus actually have the backing of heaven, in a sense, to do this, to actually proclaim when something's sin, and it's destructive, and it's not good. The communities of Jesus actually have authority from heaven to lovingly confront sin. Because if we don't take our cues from Jesus and just take our cues from our culture, we would probably feel like we don't have authority. Like, like who are you to tell anybody else to do? Like, if that person wants to follow Jesus that way, that's their, that's their right, right? Like, why should I say that? And we might even, even listening to that, that might even be what you're thinking right now. Like, why would I ever tell someone else what they should do? Like, that's not my right. But Jesus says, if they're going down this path that's absolutely destructive, the kind of tolerance we just tolerate, and people can do what they want, it's their choice. It's actually unloving. It's actually apathetic. Because there are certain things that are destructive. So Jesus encourages, actually, don't take your cues from the culture, but from him. And he actually is giving authority to the church to do this. He then talks about prayer. He says, again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done by them and my, by my Father in heaven. Again, this is an amazing verse. It's quite an unqualified promise, um, which, which I'm still kind of working on how to interpret. But we could say, if anything, is an encouragement in this process to pray, because even pairs of people praying in agreement in matters of correction can have the confidence that the Father hears and responds. Obviously, all of this practice would need to be totally immersed in prayer, seeking God's will. But Jesus is saying that if, if you've gone to someone and they're not listening and, and you're with someone else and you're going to do it and you're praying, like you can be assured that God hears. God's listening. He's responding. He'll give wisdom. He will um, meet your requests. There's a great encouragement that in this process to, to be in prayer, in confidence that God is involved. Um, and then finally, this, this famous verse, for where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Again, again, this verse is often just sort of read in different contexts, and, and I think it can be applied in different contexts, right? Like, it's true, whenever two or three gather, like, Jesus is, is there. Whenever we come to pray, Jesus is present always. But this encouragement is particularly in the context of this loving correction process of someone who's vulnerable and in, and in danger. Jesus promises his presence. Now, Jesus is present with us in the mess of responding to sin is in community as we gather seeking to honor his name. So this 
I think these are really three encouragements to, to say, like, no, this is actually important. Um, from his perspective, we need to look, not from the perspective of our culture or maybe our past. And these, in some ways, are also three kind of qualifiers because it's saying, well, actually, the church only has authority really to confront things that are out of alignment with heaven, with, with the kingdom, with, with God's values. It's not just anything. Um, it needs to be done in prayer, seeking his will, and ultimately the focus is on his presence. So this whole process is not about one person having a fight with another person. It's about God and his heart and his authority and his desire for his children. Ultimately, it's about being more like Jesus because this is Jesus' heart, right? That he, he pursues those who wander. He corrects those who are vulnerable and in danger and he does it with grace and truth. This verse on Jesus in John 1 said, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is full of grace and truth. Um, not just truth, right, which by itself can be harsh and, and actually damaging. <laughs> and he's not just grace, um, which maybe by itself could just lead to license or just apathy or just unrestrained freedom, but he's grace and truth, truth in grace, truth in love. And if Jesus is our, is our focus and our, and our reference point, and this is all about his heart for, his, for our brother and sister, for his um, disciple who's, who's wandering, um, then we need to seek his presence and his love because he loves sinners. This is who Jesus is. He loves sinners so much to die for them. And if I think about this and why I don't practice this and being really honest, like I'm, I don't really confront people. Like it's just it's not my personality, it's not my practice, it's not my experience. I know there's a need, but it just feels too complex. But I feel challenged by this this week. And I think as a community, we don't tend to do this or don't tend to do this well. And maybe God is challenging us, but if I really think about why I don't do this, um, I might, might often say it's because I don't want to hurt that person, which is true, but often it's probably because I don't want to be hurt, because it will probably hurt. It will probably hurt. Like, even just the practice of going to do it requires a humility and a, and a willingness to be misunderstood or to be rejected or to be hurt or to be abused, maybe, um, it requires letting down self-protection and being vulnerable and having a soft heart. Also, it requires really caring about people, because if you don't really care, then you don't really hurt. But if you really care about this person, and they might even reject you, then that's even going to hurt even more. Um, it actually involves being willing to suffer, um, like Jesus. Right? That's what Jesus is like. Jesus comes to his own people confronts their sin, and they crucify him. <laughs> and he does it anyway. And his death overcomes and, and brings life. And I think ultimately, to, to practice this, we have to be willing to suffer for the sake of each other, to, to lovingly love each other enough that actually we humble ourselves, and actually if we're rejected, it's okay. We're aligned with Jesus. That's what happened to Jesus. That's what he's like. He has grace and truth. 
And so maybe I think there's maybe two things for us today. One is that actually we need this. We need to have each other's back. We, we need people in our lives who will point things out if we start to go off track. So we also need to be that for each other. Um, and secondly, if this is what Jesus is like, that he's willing to confront in love, and we are disciples of Jesus, then this is actually something we have to grow in if we're going to be like Jesus, who is full of grace and truth. So I wonder... I wonder if maybe Jesus is confronting us today about our lack of willingness to lovingly confront sin. Perhaps he's confronting us. We're the ones that might be in sin today. And I suppose the question is, will we listen to him and do one another? Do you want to pray with me? Can you pray with me? Yeah, Father, we feel your loving touch in this moment. We feel um, that you are here, Jesus, that you are speaking to us as a church and as a gathering, as a community, and we just want a heart that would respond to this word. And I just repent on behalf of this community for where we, um, we've aligned more to, to the culture that we're in, this dualistic culture that, that really, um, yeah, just <laughs> tolerates, um, many different forms of truth and, and can't arrive at, at a sense of confidence about what is true. Um, we know that's not your worldview, Jesus. Lord, we know that you are the truth and we want to align to your truth, Lord, as your church. We want to be um, fierce lovers of one another just as you love and pursue and defend and fight as a good shepherd for, for your sheep. Lord, give us the heart of a shepherd toward one another as a church and help us take this opportunity to receive whatever you're saying here. Um, we break agreement with our culture where you don't want us to be like that and we ask that you would make us salt and light, that you would give us our saltiness. Lord, help us to love and serve one another in this, in this way that is so, so countercultural. Lord, um, guard and protect us from, um, yeah, from, I guess, confronting without love. Give us the gentleness, the tenderness of the, the love of the Father towards one another. 
help us to respond today. We pray. Amen.